Good morning. Well, welcome to Florence Christian Church. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here today. Uh, And I'd say welcome home. I think God has brought you here for a reason, as he has all of us. And uh, and so we're in this new season of fall. Wasn't it nice to hear the rain last night? Uh, I know it's refreshing. We have like a plastic roof over our porch and to hear it coming down, wake up to the fresh smell. Uh, It's nice to have sunflowers on the stage right here. Yeah, I I understand pumpkin spice lattes have been available for a few weeks. Who's had one of those? A couple. All right. Good for you. By the way, you can have mine. Please go right ahead. More power to you. I'm all about empowering your pumpkin spiceness. Uh, But... We have uh, been working through in this new season, and I was getting ready for school to start a few weeks ago. I had the Seriously School District uh, calendar up on my computer, and I'm typing dates into uh, my phone, into my Google calendar, so I know when uh, my daughter is off of school, and so, hey, there's a day off here, and there's an in-service day there, and I type in Christmas break, and uh, going through third quarter and spring break, and then I type in June 5th, graduation, 7 p.m., enter and it just like hits me. Well, boom. My daughter's a senior and graduation is like right there. And I was not ready for it. Okay. I'm typing and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, if you listen to the first service, it might sound like I'm crying during that part. It was just some microphone issues. Uh, but <laughs> we think we got it figured out for this service. God is showing us different things at different times. He prepares us for what's coming. And so I've seen this thing nine months out. And really, I saw it 18 years out. And yet it keeps approaching and approaching. And and God is continuing to be faithful to us and revealing himself to us. And, And that's what we're looking at in the book of Romans, where he's giving us pieces of himself that we can handle at any given time. And there's so much more to him. And yet he gives us pieces of him as we are prepared to handle it, or maybe a little bit more than we can handle so that we have to rely back on him. But before we jump into Romans, I want to talk about last week. Uh, Last week, uh, we were talking, we had some young people sharing, and I talked about the stresses and people in the Bible. We looked at Hosea, who uh, became king at eight, and then found the scriptures and went through and and created change in his country. And, And here's the thing, that didn't even happen. Okay, it was Josiah. Josiah found scriptures. He was king at eight. He made changes at the age of 18. Hosea, you can read about him. He's in there too. He had a whole nother set of problems, all right? Like he had stuff that he was like, I wish my only stress was being king at eight. But uh, I bring that up just because, first of all, I was wrong. I said it incorrectly, and so I just wanted to correct myself. But also to say this, none of you said anything. Okay, like we're in this together, people, all right? I don't know it all. I don't have it all together. And so I'm not saying you necessarily need to call me out right in the middle of the sermon. Although, whatever, but catch me afterwards and correct me. And and let's look at this thing together, especially as we open up a book like Romans, which has so much packed into it. And as long as we can come back to the scriptures and have a discussion, then we need to be able to talk and to do this together. This isn't just a couple of guys that have it all put together. We don't. 
Okay, and, and so help us out here and write us a note, those kinds of things. Let's sit down over uh, pumpkin spice latte and, and black coffee and talk it over. Um, anyway, so as we continue into this, uh, it's a good reminder as we jump into Romans. Romans is filled with doctrine, and doctrine is simply what we believe as it is outlined in the Scriptures, and so what we believe according to how it's outlined in Scripture and, and doctrine's important. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, it says, One must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Now, this is specifically in Titus talking about those that would take on the role of elder. But really, the qualifications for eldership are kind of a baseline for what all believers are, are, are looking to be as we line our lives up with God and His Word. And so it's a good reminder that this book is so chock full of doctrine, and God reveals Himself to us through this. God reveals himself in a lot of ways. We're going to look in a few weeks about uh, general revelation, how God reveals himself through nature and through our experience. And we have this shared experience on this earth. And so that no matter where you are on the planet, you are not with an excuse to say, I haven't experienced God. Yet God reveals himself through special revelation also, through his word, through the life of Jesus. And he continues to reveal himself more and more to us. As a kid, I, I, I wasn't a big reader. I didn't love to do that, but there was a couple kinds of books that I liked as a kid. I've got one here. I love this kind of book, right? You guys have these? Bam! Right? Like, now that's interesting. I don't need just a bunch of words. And, and so something that popped out. I also love the books uh, that as, as you went through it, it had little pockets that you could open. Do you remember those? You could open them or pull on the little tab and interact with it uh, a little bit. I love like choose your own adventure books where I got to be a part of telling the story and I could read the same book and have different outcomes. And that's just how I am wired. And so that's what we want to do in the book of Romans. We, we're going to read the book of Romans together. We're going to dig into it together. We're going to interact with it together. And it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure thing happening. As you are willing to risk lining your life up with some of the things that the book of Romans says, then you are getting to choose your own adventure, trusting God to be faithful on his side. And I just got to say, if you're not in a community group, this is the perfect time to get connected to one, because in large part, that's where we're going to be doing a lot of the work within the book of Romans. Again, it's one thing to be able to sit and listen for a few minutes, and, uh, but so much better to take other people's perspectives and, and their life experience and to be able to learn from one, one another and from our own experience. So, so connect to a community group. There's sign-ups in the lobby right on your bulletin, like right now. Just If you're not in one, get me in a community group, put it in the tray at the end of service, and you will get so much more, not only out of the book of Romans, but out of this church experience. So, um, as we look to go into this and we dig in, let's, let's pray together. God, you are so good. God, and you are the only one that's good. And so we just trust you with this time, the season that you have led us to dig into Romans. And some of it's confusing and some of it's hard. And quite frankly, some of it I don't like. Um, but just help us to see you 
God, continue to reveal yourself and your plan uh, that can be different from our plan through uh, what we experience and read and uh, interact with together. You are so good, and we trust you with this. In Jesus' name, amen. So digging into the book of Romans, it'd be helpful to understand a little bit more about Rome. Okay, and so the Rome, uh, Rome kind of came to be about 750 years before Jesus even walked on the earth. And so Rome came under King Romulus and, and he established a kingdom, but over time it then became a republic where the people had a say in the government and in what would take place uh, within their own country and community. And so over time, Rome would grow from a small city-state into this larger republic. In the meantime, while Rome is still small, we have a couple of nations, Egypt and Israel, over here. And, and we've been reading, if you've been in the Bible reading uh, plan through Jeremiah and others, we've seen about God saying, hey, if you don't turn uh, back to me, then I'm going to send invaders from the north, and that's what happened. Invaders from the north came, Assyria and Babylon, and they came through not only Israel but Egypt, and then the Persians after them taking over while at the same time. Rome is growing. About 65 years before Jesus walked the earth, uh, uh, Rome takes over Israel and, and also Egypt. And so a lot of the uh, nation and countryside that was controlled by Persia, now Rome has taken over. And in the first century, this is what Rome controlled all around the Mediterranean. Now, about 30 years before Jesus came to walk the earth, Rome became an empire under the first Caesar Augustus, and things changed a little bit. And there was much more of a, of a diversity or, 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 or a stretch between the rich and the poor. And the rich lived up in the hillsides. There's seven hills in Rome that it was built on. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is also built on seven hills. And, and so Rome and Cincinnati were sister cities. I remember still as a kid walking up to the sculpture of, of, of the she-wolf and uh, Romulus and Remus, right? Is that right? Yeah, and, and that they had been raised by a wolf and this whole lore behind the beginnings of Rome. And, and so we have this that has taken place that they have taken over and, and the rich are up on the hillsides. The poor are kind of in the cities. They, they're put in pretty much uh, what would be known of as or thought of as the projects. More than a million citizens lived in these apartment-style project buildings, which today, if you think about it, would be about the same size as the whole I-5 corridor, Portland, Salem, Eugene, Medford, Ashland, the population of all those cities living in, in the slums of downtown Rome. So this is a major metropolitan area. And, and with that, uh, uh, the Caesar, uh, Caesar Augustus would keep food fairly inexpensive and wine inexpensive in order to keep the people happy, at least in the city itself. He brought in games. We know the Colosseum uh, with chariot races and fighting and, and, and lions and all those kinds of fun for some people. Things. Now... Amidst this, we also have the Roman church. Uh, and so about 65 years after Jesus walked the earth, uh, and after he was born at least, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome. 
and he was probably in Corinth for a number of months as he was traveling from Asia. He was on his way to uh, Jerusalem to drop off money that, that the Christians in Asia had, riz, had raised for the Christians in Jerusalem. And he says, my plan is to follow through there and continue on to visit you in Rome on his way to Spain. But that would never happen. His plans never came to be the way that he had thought them. Now, one day Paul would visit Rome, but it would be after he was arrested and taken there in chains. So the book of Romans is written about this time, and it's the first book in the New Testament uh, that is known as an epistle or a letter. But that's not because it was the first one written. It was written after some of the other epistles, but it's placed first because it is key to the rest of scriptures. In fact, uh, theologian Ray Stebbins says this, that he calls Romans the master key to all of scripture. It mentions almost every major doctrine within the Christian faith within these 16 chapters. And so that's kind of the setting of what we're picking up and who we're talking to. Now, also interesting is that we're not quite sure how the Roman church started. A lot of uh, people believe that it may have just started from from people, Jewish people, that were in uh, Jerusalem at the time of, uh, of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down on the believers. It states in that, in Acts chapter 2, that there was uh, people there from Rome, and that they would return home to bring this message. And that's because uh, of a couple of things. In Romans chapter 15, Paul says this, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He says, my practice to not come where an apostle has already established a church. And he's saying that because, uh, in essence, he says, if an apostle or somebody that walked and talked with Jesus, who begins churches, has already been there, then that's a solid foundation for you to build on. So I don't need to come and do extra work because you already have the right kind of foundation. But we see in Romans chapter 1, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so to have these two things in place, I don't normally like to come to places that it's already been preached, but I do want to come to you further leads to the thought that maybe it wasn't another apostle that came to Rome, as we don't have any uh, sign of that in the book of Acts, but that the church had started because of just some, some Jewish people that heard about Jesus and then brought it back. So he's rebuilding their foundation. So I want to pick it up there with all those things in mind, just a better understanding of this culture and who Rome was and the Roman countryside, but also the Christians who lived there in Rome. In verse 1, chapter 1, he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So here we see uh, something about Paul, that he has a clarity of his own identity. He understands who he is. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is kind of giving his resume of why he's qualified to be there. And he says a number of things. He says that, that I was born in Tarsus, which is the right place to be born. I was raised in Jerusalem, which was the place to be raised. He says, I studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the head of the Sanhedrin or the religious organization of the time. I sat at his feet and learned from the best of the best. And so he gives those kinds of qualifications, but when we see Romans, he doesn't introduce himself that way. He introduces himself like this. I am a servant or a slave, a bond servant of Christ. He says, that's who I am. I am a servant of Christ. He says, I've been called to be an apostle, somebody who had a personal interaction with Jesus himself and is called to start new things. He says also that I have been set apart for the gospel. To be set apart is a similar word, same word as holy. And in a lot of the Old Testament, you'll hear that things were holy and, and, and pieces of, of uh, furnishings and, and also bowls and spoons. They were set aside for use within the temple and only for that task. And he said, I too was set aside for the gospel. And then he moves on to the identity of those he's talking to. He says, you, you are loved by God. Says, I don't know what you've heard. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you focus on your life, but you truly are loved by God. And then he continues on that you have been called to be saints. And I don't know how often we would choose to call ourselves saints. We often much more refer to ourselves as sinners, maybe sinners saved by grace, but saint. That's not something we put upon ourselves. And yet Paul is reminding them, he says, You have been called to be saints. That is who you are. That is your identity. Verse 80 continues. First, I thank my God, Jesus Christ, for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far has been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and to the foolish, and so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. That's an interesting ending of that part right there. He says that I am, have an obligation to both Greeks and barbarians, to wise and fools, so I'm eager to come to you. You know, it's like, whoa, hold on a second there, Paul, what are you trying to say here? Um, and so at, at this time, the Greeks saw the world in two parts. They would say there are Greeks and then everybody else, they are barbarians. The whole rest of the world, you're barbarians, and that's the way they saw the world. Jews actually felt the same way. We are God's chosen people, and everybody else are Gentiles. That's everyone else. And so Paul is saying, I have been called both to those people who are, feel like they're in the inside, but also to those people who have been pushed out to the margins. I've been called to come and bring this gospel good news message to everyone. 
and he had an urgency of this calling. He says, I long to come to you. I so desire to be with you to come and share in what you're doing because it's known around the world all the amazing things that God has done in your midst. And this, again, we have to think of Rome and the setting that we're in. You see, Rome had 29 military highways that emanated out of the city center of Rome. These kinds of military highways would have been large enough to carry horses and chariots and soldiers by the thousands. Rome had developed 250,000 miles worth of roads across the known world, and 50,000 miles of that roadway were paved in stone. And so the center of the church in Rome and word of them is going out to all these places with military troops and on trade routes and this road system that was now connecting the world in a new way for the first time as news could spread so much quicker than it ever had before. Word of the faithfulness of these Christians was getting out. Paul was just coming from Asia. Maybe he was in Asia when he started hearing rumors and stories of God at work back in Rome. And so he says, I long to come to you. I want to be a part of this thing that God is doing that we may mutually benefit, he says. I think you have some things to learn from me, but I have so much that I can learn from you both ways, both directions. Kind of like what I was saying before. I need you to help us and to, to help us get back in line with Scripture if we say something that's a little off. We're in this together. And then we get to what may be uh, the crux of the entire book of Romans in verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He starts, I am unashamed of this gospel message. And I read that at first and I go, why would you ever be ashamed of the power of God? That doesn't make sense to me. But again, we have to put ourselves in his context. You see, he was raised in the right place. But when he decided to follow this Jesus guy, he turned his back on his parents. He turned his back on his education. He turned his back on his professors and his mentors. He had to walk completely away from that because in essence, he's saying, you guys don't get it. This Jesus guy is the answer to all that you've been looking for, but you don't see it. And then amongst the Jews, the, the, the Christians who were known at that point in time as the way were seen by the other, other Israelites as a cult. Says, can you believe this guy has left the one true God and is now following this cult that thinks that a dead guy walked again? And then in Rome... Because as far as Rome is concerned, they killed Jesus. They put him to death on a cross, and he never rose again. They would never admit that they were wrong. You know, sometimes governments do that. They won't admit when they're wrong. But they would have said, no, he died in that, on that cross, and he never got out of that tomb. And if he did, it was because his followers stole his body so that it looked like it. And so there was plenty of reasons in the places that Paul would find himself to be ashamed, and yet he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now again, these Christians in Rome understood power. Tens of thousands of soldiers coming and going. 
the strongest nation on the planet, ruling over the known world. They knew what power looked like. And Paul was like, nah, not that kind of power. I'm talking about real power. This is the power of God for salvation. And then in verse 17, for it is... um, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. It says God is revealing himself to us in this. That we, when we are in a right relationship with God, God unveils himself and reveals himself to us for this purpose. It's from faith for faith. It's a faith that's supposed to lead other people to faith, but it's a faith that requires faith to have faith, to reproduce faith, right? Yeah, it's kind of confusing, but look at that again. In, In verse 17, from faith for faith. The purpose of it was to create something and hope in other people because you've experienced hope in yourself. But in order to jumpstart that, you had to have faith to begin with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. At some point in time, you needed to look at the story, especially for us thousands of years later, of a guy who came to the earth, supposedly God, lived, died on a cross, and he rose from the dead? Come on. I mean, it takes a leap of faith to get there, to believe that. But when you do, and when God reveals himself to you, you understand it, not as foolishness. The world looks at what we believe, and the fact that we would gather here on a Sunday is foolish. What a waste of time, what a waste of energy, what a waste of money. But we understand it's the power of God at work in our lives, and our lives uh, bring testimony to it and agree with it. When we read scripture, it makes sense, and it is the power of God. God for salvation. So I want to flip this back on us a little bit. It's kind of hard sometimes to make the jump. You know, Romans was written thousands of years ago to a culture on the other side of the planet that doesn't reflect ours so much, and yet God is the same. So in our own context, we need to understand some of the same things that Paul uh, addresses and we see in this first chapter of Romans. First is we need to understand Florence. We need to understand the world in which we live. I'll never forget moving here. We lived here for a number of months, and we were finally going to be able to go out on a date. Ben uh, was three and a half years old. Brooklyn was probably a year and two or three months at that point in time. Um, I'm not sure. could have been Alyssa's babysitting. Thanks, by the way, from... 18 years ago. And so we're like, we're going to go see The Matrix. And uh, so this is really dating us now. But Matrix 2 was coming out. The first one was awesome. I'm a sci-fi fan. I can't wait to go out. And we've got a babysitter. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get tickets, Trudy. Don't worry about it. So I wait till noon. Noon comes around. And I show up at the theater. And I'm like, hey, can I still get tickets to the 7 o'clock showing of Matrix 2? And the guy looks at me and he's like, uh, Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great, I'll take two. And he's, he's like, well, let me figure out how to do that. And he talks to somebody else, they give me two tickets and hand it to me. And I'm like, all right, so we got to go to eat early. And then it starts at 7, so we better be there at like 5.45 or 6 o'clock, okay? If we're going to get any kind of a good seat in this place. So we show up, and there's nobody there. Nobody. It's empty, and we're standing here. And I turn to Trudy, and I'm like, where are we? 
what is this place? You know, in Denver, you better have bought tickets three days ago online if you wanted to see opening night of a movie like that. So we finally get in there and we're sitting with, I don't know, 25, 30 people and we didn't understand our culture. I know that when we first moved here, we thought we were going to build a building on 35th and Oak, and we were going to have thousands of people that came to church here, and they were going to drive from Yahats, and they were going to drive from Reedsport, and they were going to drive to Venita, from Venita to come to this place. When I moved south of town four miles, and I thought about going to Fred Meyer, I was like, oh my goodness, that'll take us like nine minutes of driving. That's all the way across town. I acclimated so quickly. But where I come from, to drive 45 minutes to church was no big deal. So I thought that was the case. But we need to learn our culture. You know, sometimes we don't understand uh, what our whole community looks like. You know, we're a retirement community. We have a, a third of our community, maybe, who is, is retired, who did well enough in life that they could retire kind of where they wanted to, and they chose here. And, and so that's a different kind of person. You know what they came here to do? You know what you came here to do? Nothing. <laughs> okay? But here we are in the church saying, great, you're retired. You've got plenty of time to do something for God. That's not why I moved here. That's not what I want to do here. And then we also think that, man, it sure would be nice if our community had some young people because depending on where you live, you live in, in, in different places of our, of our town. You don't see young people. We have thousands of children and young people. We have plenty of places. You know what else we have? We have a lot of grandchildren and we have a lot of grandparents. But not all of our grandkids have their own grandparents. Guess what that leaves us? A great ability to join in this culture a set of people with another set of people that have a need of somebody to care for them and to be there for them. We have unique opportunities. And when we understand our culture, we can better meet the needs of that culture. The other thing we need to have is clarity of our identity. You need to understand who you are. And I think we fill this all the time with different things. Who are you? You know, you introduce yourself. You know, hey, I'm Aaron. I'm a pastor. And, uh, and, and I'm a father. And, and, or I'm a coach. Or I'm a teacher. Or I'm a mechanic. Or I'm a whatever. Fill in the blank of those things. And, and we see ourselves in those kinds of roles. But that's not really who we are. Some of them kind of connect to our identity. But most of them don't. And the question you have to ask yourself is, if you remove that from your circumstances, would your identity stay intact? If I was no longer to be a pastor, would my identity stay the same? See, Paul talked about identity statements. He called himself a servant. He called himself called and set aside for the gospel. And you take other parts of his life away, and many of them were taken away, and his identity stayed intact. But the Bible is packed full of them. I am a child of God. I am an heir and a co-heir. I am a citizen of heaven. I am loved. I am called a saint. I am a, a chosen of God. And all these things cannot be taken away by our circumstances. And we need to rest in a proper identity of ourselves. Not in what we do, but in who we are. The third thing, and I've talked about it a bunch of times, is that we are called to a space. 
Paul felt a longing and a drawing to come to Rome. He felt like he was supposed to be there and, and he was able to have impact through this letter even though God had a different plan. But what are the places that you feel a longing and a calling towards? Some of it is, is your work. Some of it is in your neighborhood. Some of it, especially if you volunteer places, there's a reason, a calling towards that, that you need to understand that you've been placed there for a purpose, to live out your relationship with God because we also have an unashamed message. And the message is all about his power, his power to convict, his power to save, his power to transform. And we often will take that upon ourselves, like I really need to lead so-and-so to Christ. That's not your job. Like it's not your job to convict their hearts of what is broken inside. You can't do it. You're not asked to do it. That's a Holy Spirit job. You can't save them. But it is your job to be present, to be active in their lives, to be uh, partnering with them, to be discipling them, to be walking alongside them. And so we have a role. But let's leave the power plays to the guy with the power. It's his power at work to save and to convict and to transform lives. And God will continue to reveal himself to you as you allow yourself to be open to him. I love a bumper sticker that I read uh, that, that would, I'd really like to get for myself, but it says, get in, sit down, buckle up, and hold on. Right? And that's what I feel about this new season, about digging into Romans, about understanding more and more who God is, and therefore understanding more and more who we are, and that God has plans for us, that he has brought you here for a reason, for a purpose. You're not here by mistake. It wasn't just the page that you found on the internet and you are here by happenstance. God placed you here, and we better get in. And buckle up and hold on because God wants to do amazing things in us, around us, and through us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Uh, God, thank you for your love, for your wisdom, for the way that you provide. God, we just ask that you would continue to reveal yourself through, through Romans as we read on our own. God, as we come together here. As we discuss in our community groups that we would see you more and more. God, that we would understand ourselves better according to the way that you see us, not the way the world sees us or, or the, the things that we would tell ourselves are important about us. God, but that we would see us the way you do. Lord, we thank you uh, for your plan in this season. We just ask that we'd be able to follow you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. This time of communion is remembering that power that was displayed, that he loved you enough to send his